Well, we are continuing our study through Mark. Last week, we reviewed the, the account of the Gentile woman whose daughter was healed. Now, this was, a, this was in a series of healings and miracles that were directed to the Gentiles living in that area. As remember, Mark's gospel is written to Roman Gentiles, so it was not written to Jews. There was very little Jewish reference, very little uh, preaching, more visual things, more healings and miracles. Mark doesn't give us a lot of Old Testament version. He doesn't mention any Old Testament laws because his readers and the people that were listening to him would have no idea what he's talking about. So he's gearing his ministry, his, his writings, to people who would understand it, and most of those were visual rather than auditory or Old Testament references. Matthew's gospel was written for the Jews, so you have a lot of Old Testament references there. Now, so far, we've, had, we've heard Jesus tell his disciples that his calling wasn't only to Jews, but to Gentiles, to everybody. And last week, we saw him head into a Gentile area and heal a Gentile little girl. Now, this next account shows him going further into Gentile territory in Mark 7.31. It says, Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon, then back to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Ten, Tower, ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him. And the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him to a private place away from the crowd. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting into his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue with the spittle. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and commanded, be opened. Instantly the man could hear and perfectly and speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more the news spread. For they were completely amazed. Again and again, they said, everything he does is wonderful. He even heals those who are deaf and mute. Well, let's pray as we study God's word. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak through me that everything that I say and do is exactly what you once said and done. I pray that the Holy Spirit allows me to say it and to each one to hear it and allow it to affect our lives in the way that you would have us to understand it. And let it only be truthful according to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, now this, this account is only recorded in Mark's gospel. It's not recorded in the other three. And he includes it because it ties in with all the other ones that have been happening up to this point, which was including the Gentiles into the blessings of God. Now we look at Matthew's account. Matthew account records the daughter and the, and the mother and little girl, and it records other things, but not this particular thing. It does, however, conclude all the things that Jesus does, which was part of this. In other words, Matthew's account doesn't show this particular account, but it shows what happened right after the account. Matthew 15, 31, it says, The crowd was amazed. Those who had, hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made lame. The, well were, uh, the lame were walking around, and those who had been blind could see again. And they praised the God of Israel. So now we see Gentiles praising God. Jesus was reaching the, the Gentiles, and it seemed that they were more receptive to the gospel than the Jews were. They were ready to hear it. And possibly the reason was what we talked about last week. Jesus was doing things that the Jews had never taught, never, they were never instructed on these things, they never saw it happen. So they were thinking that whatever Jesus was doing can't be from God because they had never experienced it before. Now, think about this in, in current times. Does it seem harder to reach people who have been in church all their life, but not really Christian, or people that have never been in church? 
the people that have never been in church sometimes are more receptive than the people that have been in church all their life. Because the folks that have been in church all their life, they were never taught that, they were never shared the gospel, they never had the opportunity to be saved. And so if it's coming from church, it must be right. We talked about this in our class this morning that everyone needs to understand why they believe what they believe, not because I'm telling you that. You need to study it for yourself. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly divides God's word. So you need to understand what God's word says for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. The Jews weren't taking anybody's word for it. They just believed what they believed and they weren't listening. The Gentiles, who had never had anything to do with the Jews, hey, they were listening. They were seeing what God was doing. Jesus knew his audience and that helped in the conversation. When you talk to someone who has been brought up in church, you should be able to use the Bible as your reference, right? When you're talking to someone in, as a Christian believer, you should be able to use the Bible as a reference. However, not every person who goes to church believes in the Bible. And if someone hasn't been in church, maybe they don't believe the Bible, then maybe you have to use some external evidences to talk about Christianity. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. Rather than quoting Old Testament law, which the Gentiles would have no idea of, he was showing them in the physical the power of God. He was showing them the truth by the way he acted and the way he talked to them. The difference is that Jesus used different methods and different sermon styles depending on who he was talking to. But he doesn't change what he's saying. He changes his style, he changes what he's going to do, but he doesn't change what he's going to say. So back at the beginning of Mark's account, it says, Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon, then back to the Sea of Galilee and to the region of the Ten Towns. Sidon and the Ten Towns, again, were Gentile areas. In fact, the Ten Towns, or depending on the translation you have, Decapolis, you may have that in there instead of Ten Towns, it was specifically Roman culture in those areas. One commentary referred to the Ten Towns as Rome away from Rome. In other words, he had Rome, which is a cultural center. Well, this place was just like being in Rome, but not being there. If it, I'll give you a secular example. If there's Vegas and there's Reno. I know none of you have been there, none of you ever desired to go there, but Reno is just a smaller version of Vegas, right? So and that's exactly what was happening here. These 10 towns, or the Decapolis, that was as culturally relevant as the city of Rome itself was. It was a Gentile vacation spot of some sort. And whatever the case, this account, this account would be appreciated by the Roman readers because he was equating it to a town that they knew and would understand. Verse 32 says, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay hands on the man and to heal him. Now, this is where a little bit Further Bible study helps a story. Now the NIV uses the phrase, could hardly talk. The New Living Translation says, speech impediment. Well the word for that is megalelos, and it's only used one time in the New Testament. And it refers back to Isaiah 35, 6. And it says here, the, the lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing and shout. Now, for the Jews at that time, if they hear this prophecy, they're thinking they're in the Messianic age. He's referring to this as the Messianic age, but 
not this particular age. Jesus is referring to it in the age to come. The Jews are thinking, well, this is it. This is the time. So even though it's written to Gentiles, this is also a reference to the Jewish leaders at the time. Again, Jesus referring to himself as Messiah. When he quotes this and he does this, the Jews who knew their Bible, the Old Testament, would understand this scripture, this prophecy. Man, people who aren't talking, they're talking now. That must mean the Messiah is here. So the Jews should have understood, again, one more prophecy that validated Jesus being the Messiah. But they didn't listen. They didn't understand it. Now, it wasn't just a throwaway phrase. For the Jewish leaders, it should have had a deeper meaning. And sometimes when you read God's word, things should have a deeper meaning to you. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 2, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. In other words, kind of like hide and seek. God wants you to search things out. Sometimes things are buried in scripture that he wants you to find. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to find something new that somebody, nobody else has ever found, right? There's no, nothing new under the sun. You're not going to find some new revelation or new truth. But you may find something that's new to you, something that other Christians may know, but now it's, it's understandable by you. And God wants you to be able to search out things in the Bible to validate them to yourself. And when the Jews heard this, they should have understood it, but they didn't. And when you hear sermons and you hear things that are said, it should mean something to you. It should matter to you. And if it doesn't, maybe that's a clue to go study a little bit more. How many of you, now, we're going to lunch. How many, everybody going to lunch after this? How many had breakfast this morning? Okay, breakfast. Who's going to lunch? Who's going to eat dinner? Who's going to eat breakfast tomorrow? And lunch and dinner. The point is, the Bible refers to itself as food. You can't get your only nourishment by an hour on Sunday morning. You have to read on your own. Have a devotional. If you just read one chapter or two verses, whatever, you need to read on your own. If you don't, you'll be starved for what God wants to do. And when you, see, when you hear something in a sermon and you're not sure, go look it up. Go search it out. If I'm wrong, come to me. If you have a question about something, come to me and we'll look it up. We, we're studying faith and doubt in our Sunday school class. There's always going to be doubts. There's always going to be things you don't have the answer to. But there are things that the Bible does address and you can't answer if you study. So I encourage you to do that. That wasn't even in my notes. That was a freebie. So, no. The people in the town obviously cared for the guy who was deaf and dumb since they brought him to Jesus. And they, these guys, the town people begged for Jesus to heal this guy, so he must have been well-liked. So Jesus, again, is in a Gentile area healing and ministering to Gentiles. Now, I like the New Living Translation version because it's pretty accurate and easy to read. And I read it for my devotions. But here's where it might, another translation might be a little bit better for you. New Living Translation says this in verse 32. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay hands on the man to heal him. Now, no other translation actually has the phrase to heal him. It just says to lay hands on the man. That's every other translation says lay hands on the man. Now, we assume that they came for Jesus to heal him. And so the New Living Translation kind of, you know, takes that leap and puts it in there. Now, 
We assume that's why they came, but it, the Bible doesn't, in most translations, does not add that phrase. Now, it doesn't change anything about the account, but if we want to be accurate, it's good to occasionally read other versions to make sure that everything lines up. Now, it doesn't change anything, but it's good to read other versions of it. And there are good versions and there are bad versions, so make sure you're checking out the good versions of the Bible. Now, if we, don't know, we don't know if this guy was born deaf. We don't know if it was a result of an accident later in life. And if you look at different commentaries, no one is specific about that either. Some say, well, if he could speak a little bit, he must have been able to hear at some point. Others say, no, it, so it doesn't really matter. The point is Jesus healed the guy, whatever the cause of the deafness was. And since it appears that the crowd had, had to ask for Jesus, he probably had more than just an impediment. Guy couldn't talk for himself. The crowd had to ask for him. New Living, uh, the NIV says it better. The NIV phrase is, he could hardly talk. Now, the New American Standard says, they brought to him the one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. So either translation, it appears that he was not in a position to ask for himself. He couldn't utter those words for whatever the case may be. So Jesus answered the prayers of the people who brought him. Another example of intercessory prayer. The guy wasn't asking. We don't know if he was praying. It doesn't say he was praying. But the people were interceding for this guy. And Jesus healed him. This guy may have had no faith. He may have had a little faith. It doesn't say. But the people who brought him believed Jesus could heal him. So when we pray for other people, our prayers may affect that person whether that person believes it or not. And it was the crowd that brought him we could be a crowd. And we talked about, we've been talking about prayer the past several weeks, being persistent and continuing in prayer. God can do it. And we don't stop doing it, and we intercede for other people. How often do you bring other people's needs to Jesus? How often do we, and I gotta be careful, I'm not guilty of this. I have my list of prayer needs, and then when I'm done, thanks for listening, Jesus, I'm out as opposed to, okay, Lord, what else do you want me to pray for? And maybe I should shut up and let God talk to me. We need to be cognizant and, and be praying for the people that we know who need a touch. And as Anna said, everyone has needs. Everyone has burdens, right? Do we ask for the needs of people we know because they might not be in a position to ask for themselves? Intercede for people. Pray for people. Matthew, or Mark 7, 33 says, Jesus led him to a private place away from the crowd. He put his fingers into the man's ears, then spitting onto his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue with the spittle. Now, Jesus always wanted his miracles and healings to be handled with personal touch, right? Now, he, he talked directly to the woman at well. He talked to the woman last week directly. But he takes this guy aside, away from the crowd, so what, he can focus on him and probably so the man could focus on Jesus, rather than having all that distraction around. Another example of Jesus not doing it for show. Now Jesus could have said, hey, everyone, gather around, I'm gonna do a miracle. Let me, let me show you what I can do. No. Let's go aside. Let's do this privately. I'm gonna focus on you. Don't care about the crowds. Let's focus on you. And it's kind of like, Jesus' method of praying when he said in Matthew 6, and now about prayer, when you pray, 
Don't be like hypocrites and who love to pray publicly on street corners and in synagogues where everyone can see them. I assure you that all, that is all the reward they will give or get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your father secretly. Then your father who knows all secrets will reward you. When we pray, we have corporate prayer like we did last week up front. It's not for show. We believe there's unity and power in prayer. We're simply humbling ourselves before a holy God and coming to Jesus in faith. We're not saying, hey, gather around and see how great we are. We're humbly gathering around, praying and interceding for, for God to work in people's lives. Now, Jesus, could Jesus have just spoken the word and healed him? Yeah, right? Could he have just laid hands on the guy and healed him? Sure. So why the fingers and the spit? One commentator says that since he couldn't hear or speak, he could feel the fingers and feel the touch of his tongue. Kind of like sign language. And that would encourage his faith. Another says that Jesus was showing the crowds that speech and hearing were in the domain of the God of the universe. God was in control of all of it. Now, I like the first version. That doesn't really matter what I think. Nobody talks about this in the commentaries that I read, but who here wants me to spit on your tongue? The guy was deaf, not blind, right? So he's probably seeing Jesus spit on his fingers and then going to put his fingers in his mouth. I might have been like, whoa, what are you doing? Do you think this guy might have asked himself, why can't he just touch me? Why, why does he have to spit in my mouth? You ever question God about his methods of working in your life? I think this guy had the faith to even put aside and trust whatever method Jesus was going to do was okay with him, regardless of what it was. If you want to spit on my tongue, Lord, I'm good with that. I don't, I don't get it, but I am okay with whatever method you want to use. Ever ask yourself, why can't God just heal me? Why do I have to go to the doctors to be healed? Why do I have to take this medicine? Can't God just heal that too without me taking medicine? Why can't God just restore my family? Why do we have to go to Christian counseling or Christian pastoral counseling? Now, I preached on healing a while ago, and I mentioned in that sermon that things that we have today that we take for granted a hundred years ago would be considered a miracle. Antibiotics. Medicine for your heart condition. All this medicine that we have today, a hundred years ago, miracle of God. Now, 2,000 years ago, all this stuff would have been a miracle, right? So the things that we take for granted today, I think God's saying, dude, I gave you the medicine. Dude, I gave you the doctors. I gave you all this stuff to heal you. All of that is part of God's healing. In, in the book of Hezekiah, I think it was Hezekiah that said, you know, the, the Bible says he wasn't healed because he only went to the doctors. It doesn't say he, that was bad. He just said he went to the doctors, he should have went to the doctors and trusted God for it. So we do both. We go to the doctors and we trust God for it. It's, it's the story of a guy's town gets flooded. Guy goes up on the roof, starts praying for God rescue him boat comes cruising on by and the guy says i'm waiting for god to rescue me keep going 
Helicopter comes by. No, I'm waiting for God to rescue me. Go ahead, keep going. And the guy gets, he drowns. Gets to heaven and, and he says, God, man, where were you? God says, I sent a boat and a helicopter. What more do you want? You know, so the things that we have that we think aren't miracles of God in, in because they're medicine or doctors or whatever, that's God's method of doing it. Now, God may heal you of that, of having to take medicine, whatever it might be, but I'm not telling anyone to stop doing it. Let God heal you. Go to the doctors and let him say, hey, you're healed. Stop taking your medicine. Don't just stop taking it. Let the doctor verify it. Because I think when God does miracles, they're verifiable miracles. It's not nebulous and, you know, I, I can't wait. When God does it, it's, it's verifiable. And so when you go to the doctor and they do a blood test and they say, man, you are no longer sick. Don't know what happened. You can stop taking your medicine. Okay, praise God. God healed me. Maybe God allowed us to create this stuff as part of his healing. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? So if we consider it good, God gave it to us. And I, I'm thinking this, you know, this reminded me of the account in, in 2 Kings. If you remember, I'll, I'll read it to you. I'll read it quickly. It says, the letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter I present my servant, servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read it, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can kill and give life? He is only trying to find an excuse to invade us again. So the king says, I can't do it. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard about the king's reaction, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elijah's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of leprosy. But Naaman walked away, became angry and stalked away. I thought surely he would come out to meet me. So he's mad that Elisha's not there. And he said, I expected him to wave his hand over this leprosy and call in the name of the Lord and God would heal me. Aren't the Abana River and the far, far river of Damascus, much better than the rivers of Israel put together. Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? So you should, certainly should obey him when he says, Simply go and wash yourself and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times, and lo and behold, as the man of God had instructed him, and his flesh became as healthy. So... He was first upset that the right guy wasn't there. Well, if God can only heal through Elijah, why isn't he here? Why does he send a, a second guy? So he kind of took that as a, as a diss, okay? Well, I must not be important for Elijah not to come. And then he was mad at the way God told him to be healed. I want to I see some miraculous thing. Elijah, wave your hand over me and start acting Pentecostal and, and God will still do it that way. God says, no, this is my way. Either you do it my way or not. Now, Jesus could have spoken the word, waved his hand over the guy and did Pentecostal stuff and healed him. But he spit on his tongue. He could have healed him from a distance. He healed the girl from a distance last week. Just because Jesus doesn't answer you the way you want him to 
or that he may use other methods or other people doesn't mean he won't answer. So yes, God raised up doctors and created medicine and counselors and Bible-based support groups. Provided they are biblical, God can use all of them to accomplish his, person, his purpose. I'm thinking simply antibiotics. Before there were antibiotics, people died from minor infections. I heard a, uh, read an article that said more people died in the Civil War from infection than they did from actual gunshots. And all of a sudden, there's this miracle drug that will cure your infection. Well, I'm not going to take that because I think God should heal me. God says, I am. It's right there. Take the drug. Verse 34 says, And looking up to heaven, he sighed and commanded, Be opened. Now remember, this guy was deaf. So looking, Jesus looking up to heaven was an indication to the guy, Hey, I'm looking to God. God's going to be the one to answer this, this prayer request. I want you to know that it's God doing the work. And it was also Jesus probably telling him, hey, I'm looking up. Maybe you should look up to heaven too for your response. When we look for God to do something, look for God to do it. Now the sigh, commentaries had fun with that one. It's the same word used in connection with prayer in Romans. It means an inward groan. It's the same word. Romans 8.23 says, and even we Christians, even although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, also we also groan to be released from pain and suffering. Same word. Romans 8.26, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. Now the man could not hear Jesus. Jesus was speaking to the sickness or the infirmity. The man was part of God's creation, so God commanded his creation to be healed. Look at Matthew 7, 29, it says, for, he, for Jesus taught as one who had authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Matthew 8, 27, the disciples who sat there in awe, who is this, they asked himself, even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus was speaking with authority over that which he had created. He created, obviously the Bible says he created everything. This man was a creation of God. He had authority over this guy's life. He had authority to heal his body. And what happened after that? Verse 35 says, instantly the man could heal, hear perfectly and speak plainly. So even though sometimes there are progressive healings, this was an instantaneous healing. How many have experienced an instantaneous healing? How many of you experienced a progressive healing? Now verse 36 says, Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Isn't that like us? Don't say anything. And what do you want to do? You want to say something. <laughs> Don't go over there. You want to go over there. The minute that someone tells you not to do something is the minute you want to do it. And you wouldn't have thought about it unless someone told you, don't think about it. And so Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And, and they, oh. I can tell people, okay, I'm going to go. He says, don't tell anybody. They say, he, they hear, tell everybody. Now, we've mentioned before why he says that. Because he doesn't want word to get out that he was only a miracle worker. 
that would have created in their minds a false concept of who he was as a Messiah, and it would begin and spark an attitude and desire for a messianic insurrection. Okay, the, the Jews in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament prophecies, they, they don't really show you a church age gap. The prophecies are for here, and they're also for the end times. They don't really show the gap. And so when the Jews read the Old Testament, they were thinking that, okay, this is the time where Jesus sets up his kingdom, whereas we see it now, it's after all the tribulation and stuff. They think it's coming now, and they think he's going to be the guy to do it, and he wanted them not to think that because that's not what was going to happen. And that, that thought of him having a messianic insurrection would continue to carry even, though, even through his crucifixion and resurrection. Because in Acts 1.6, after he'd been resurrected, it says this, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, are you going to free Israel now and restore our kingdom? So they're still thinking that Jesus is going to overthrow everything at that particular moment. And they finally came to understand it's not now but later because his mission was not to overthrow Rome. His mission was to offer salvation to people, to change people's hearts to lead them into a personal relationship with God, to get them free from the sin that they were trapped in. And even though at this particular moment in time, Jesus came there to get rest, he took time to heal everyone. Verse 37 says, For they were completely amazed. Again and again they said, Everything he does is wonderful. He even heals those who are deaf and mute. Now, God used this miracle to allow the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles. It's a way of getting their attention. So they listen to what happens after the miracle. One commentary says it this way. There can be no doubt that for Mark, the significance of this miracle, of these miracles was the proclamation of the gospel in the territory of the Gentiles, a sign of the messianic activity of Jesus. It was Jesus' way of kind of opening the door for them to hear what he has to say. And we've mentioned before that whenever God answers prayer and does miracles and healings, that is an open door to show people what God can do. They're not in and up for themselves. God will use those as a testimony to people who either don't know Christ or are on the board or whatever. It will show them, hey, this is true, this is the power of God, and they will open up their ears to listen, which when Jesus says he unstopped his hearing. And another example of God wanting to unstop our hearing, so that we're able to hear the word of God and respond the same way. Matthew eleven fifteen says, anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. How many know there's a difference between listening and understanding? One website says that Jesus says the same thing 54 times in the New Testament. Anyone who's willing to, anyone willing to hear should listen and understand. It's easy to listen and not hear what God is saying. How many of you wives think your husbands never listen to you? They listen, they don't understand. <laughs> Do you remember what I said? And, and, and I'll tell you, I, no, I don't. I, I physically heard it, I heard what she was saying, it went into my head, but it was instantly out the other side, I forgot. So it's easy to listen, but not understand. And if we're not careful as Christians, we will, we will listen to God's word, but not let it do anything. 
The goal of the miracle was the opportunity to share the gospel. And the goal of any miracle or any healing that we trust God for is for the opportunity for others to see what God can do and therefore give them the opportunity to receive the gospel. You know, it's, it's possible to sit in church every week and listen to the gospel and not hear it. I'm going to close with this. Ask yourself, is that me? Do I sit in church and I listen to the message, but when I leave, I forget everything that was ever said? Or do you leave going, man, that, there was one thing he said, or one thing that happened during music today, or one thing, does it affect you? When you listen to the message, do you hear it? Do you hear God calling you to repentance? Do you hear God challenging you to do something? Do you listen to what God's saying through his word? I shared this one, this testimony earlier. Very first time I ever preached a sermon, I basically, even more than I do now, I just basically read my notes, just read them verbatim. And then sometime during that message, I happened to say one or two sentences off the cuff, not written. And after the service, someone came up to me and says, you know, that really ministered to me what you said there. And I said, what was that? And they told me the two sentences that I didn't write down. And you know what that did? That confirmed that God was using me to say something. And it's not me. It could be anybody. But the point is, God wants to communicate something to each one of us through his word. Whatever we sing, whatever we preach, something that we're saying, maybe God wants to use that in your life. But you have to be at a point where you're listening for what God is speaking to you. Do you listen to the message, but you're not really hearing God? If that's you, then today is the day you want to hear God. Last verse, Hebrews 3, 7 says, Today you must listen to his voice. Don't harden your hearts against him. Would you stand for a moment? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a second. Now we talked about coming to know Christ earlier in the service. Now we're going to do that again. Because I never want to take it for granted that just because you're in church that you know Jesus. People sit in churches all the time have no idea who Jesus is. So if you're here this morning and you just felt that tug upon your heart, that man, I don't know what this is, but there's something in it I want to know more about. Well, the Bible says that no one comes to God unless the Father draws them. And that simply means if you're thinking about God, it's because God's making you think about him. God's bringing you to the point of having to make you to make a choice, a decision. As we mentioned earlier, the Bible says we're all sinners. Every one of us falls short of what God's expectations of us are. One sin keeps you out of heaven. Just one. And that sin is not believing in who Jesus is. All the other sins are bad and they'll keep you out of heaven too, but the one sin that keeps you out is not believing in Jesus. So when that day comes for you and you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into the kingdom? Your answer is only one answer because Jesus said I can come. And if you're a sinner and you've never asked for forgiveness, you're still carrying around that sin and all the other sins. 
But the Bible says God came to take that burden off you. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ. Jesus said, look, I'll stand aside. I'll take that punishment for you. I'll, I'll carry all that sin for you. You're free. All you got to do is believe it. And not just in your head, because a lot of people believe that Jesus existed. But the Bible says as many as receive him. And just means not just factual assent, that means in your heart. That you believe that everything that the Bible says is true. So if you're here and you've never really committed your life to Christ and you really feel that nudge, the Bible says that God stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. He's not going to kick the door in. He wants you to choose freely to believe. He's not going to have every question answered. In fact, you'll never have every question answered. But that's where faith comes in. You may not know anything or everything, but Jesus says, trust me. I'll explain it later as we get older. So he's at the door of your heart and he's knocking on your heart. You gonna open the door for him? If that's you and you wanna open that door, I want you to raise your hand because I'm gonna pray with you and, and show you where the next step is gonna be. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, we are grateful. We are grateful for your salvation. We are grateful for the miracles that you do. And we're grateful for the, the love and the trust that we have built up in you. So when everyday life hits us in the face, we still trust you. We know that you carry us. We know that you bless us. And we know that you'll be with us in every situation. So Father, as we go today, I pray that our ears would be unstopped, that we would hear not just what is preached, but we would hear what the Holy Spirit's telling us as we read your word, let your word sink into our spirit, allow it to change us, let the Holy Spirit be able to show us in your word things that apply to us and things that help us in our everyday walk. Father, we will thank you and praise you and give you honor and glory for all you've done for us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.